and I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master in Israel, and knowest not these things? I'll stop there. I'll pray before we continue. Lord God, again, we just commit our time to you, Lord. I ask for your your hand on me as I'm presenting this this morning, that that your wisdom would speak through me, Lord, uh, that you would give me the the words to speak, that you would be glorified in this, um, and that we would all be helped through this. Um, so again, Lord, we just commit the time to you, asking for your your hand on each one of us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, <laughs> John asked me yesterday, as we were helping Dave and Nicole put a roof, or we're finishing up, we weren't finished. I was leaving. <laughs> but uh, what, you know, so what, are you, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, like, I got to go home to figure that out. Um, but I, it's, I hadn't known what I was going to preach on, but when I got home and started studying, I'm trying to, trying to force something out of Genesis where I kind of am in our scripture, it's like nothing would come to me. I couldn't. If you read a passage, when you're preparing to, to preach, when you're reading a passage, it just you just know what needs to be preached from that passage. Just it just comes out of the page. I don't know. That's how it works for me. Nothing was there. And I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> what am I gonna do? And Earlier in the week, we were talking, and um, I just mentioned something to, to John of what was kind of on my, my heart, and that was what was on my heart again as I was, I was like, oh, so I actually have prepared through the week <laughs> because I've been looking at this topic all week, not thinking of preaching on it, just just been looking at it and listening to, to various people and reading, thinking of various scripture on this topic. And I'm like, well, I guess it just makes sense that that's what I preach on. <laughs> I was just 
I don't know. Sometimes it just, you don't realize as you're studying that you're studying to, to present. So the, the thing that I want to preach on is how do you know if your faith is real? How do you know if you're truly saved? How do you get born again? Um, and I'll mention, I'm not going to mention names. It's not important. But there's multiple well-known, well-respected preachers who, when asked this question, give some of the worst answers you could ever It's just incredible, the answers that they give sometimes. How do I know if I'm saved? And the answer that is often given is to look at your life. And the questions that are most frequently asked is like, do you have a desire to see other people get saved? Do you have a desire to be obedient to God? Has there been a change in your life? Do you sin less than you used to sin? These are the kinds of answers that these very well-known, well-respected, very knowledgeable preachers tend to give when asked, or how do I know if I'm truly saved? Should I be looking at those things? How I'm doing as a Christian, does that, is that what determines whether or not I'm actually saved or not? Well, it's not what I find anywhere in Scripture. And that's what I'm going to look at. And I, it's not that I think anybody here doesn't know what I'm about to say. It's that I want to be encouraged and I don't want... I know some people listen to other preaching. I'm glad you do. <laughs> I hope you do. You ought to. But with some of that other preaching, and you're going to get some stuff from me that I hope you disagree with. Not that I... Not that I know that I'm wrong, but I know that I'm wrong. <laughs> If I knew where I was wrong, I would preach differently. But I know I'm wrong sometimes. I'll say things that aren't quite right. And God willing, that goes over your head or you just kind of dismiss that as my stupidity. And But when it comes to the gospel, we should know what the gospel is. And we should be able to be very clear in defining that and assuring somebody of how they can know that they're saved. Um, and so it just, and it's not like these preachers that I'm referring to, and again, it's not important who they are, but if you listen to them preach the gospel, they preach it clearly and accurately. It's not that they don't know. It's just that when it comes to looking at a Christian's life as to whether or not they are or aren't a Christian, they seem to 
confuse this issue of discipleship and spiritual growth with whether or not their faith was actually saving faith. And there's a problem with that. Because that's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite. And we'll look at that this morning. And so, I don't, I actually, I don't even know who said it, but um, the most troublesome thing that I saw this week was in relation to this passage of you must be born again. And the comment was that, I think it was Billy Graham had written a book or something to that effect of how to be born again. And the comment regarding that was that, well, you can't teach people how to be born again. Like, what do you mean you can't teach people how to be born again? If you can't teach people that, then what in the world are we doing? <laughs> there, there is only one way to be born again. Um, and that's through faith in Christ. Now, we should be able to teach people that. Um, can't see my notes. What does being born again accomplish? is probably the most important question. And we have, in this passage, Jesus doesn't, doesn't give a full explanation. He just kind of gives a, you need to be. And then he fills in a little bit of, says, except a man be born of water, and of, this is verse 5, water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's two births. When he says water, that's referring to our physical birth and of the spirit. There's a spiritual birth. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How do you get unborn? My parents had a child 40-something years ago. <laughs> Can they unhave that child? Can I be unborn to my parents? Can they ever stop being my parents? Or, on the reverse of that, can I ever stop being their child? No matter, <laughs> no matter that relationship, no matter how angry I get at my parents, no matter how far removed I get, will I ever stop being their child? Can I ever stop being their Like, they're my parents. My mother bore me, gave birth to me, and there is no way to undo that event. So the question is, is, if, if my physical birth, which is what Jesus is using to re give the illustration, is comparable to my spiritual birth, I must be born again. What is the result of my second birth, the spiritual birth? John 1, um, I'll read it. 
maybe. Um, I know it's in John 1, where he says, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 12. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but as many as received him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So how do you accomplish, essentially this is answering that rebirth, the second birth question, is how do you accomplish that? It's by believing in the name of Christ. Now, there's a number of places that talk about being the sons of God. I'm just going to go to Galatians, if I can find it. Galatians um, chapter 3, verse 26, says something. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ Jesus is how we become the children of God. That second birth causes us to be somebody else's child. That's God's child. Can I be unborn? I can never stop being my physical parent's child. Could I possibly ever stop being God's child if I've received that second birth? How? How could it possibly be undone? People are breaking stuff here. It's <laughs> terrible distraction. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But if I can't stop being my parents' physical child, could I ever stop being God's spiritual child? Our Bible study, um, some of the things that we're doing in the last couple of times is just dealing with the questions that people put out and or objections that people give to the gospel. And... How do we answer some of those objections or questions? And one of the things that came up was that statement, and it's a very common statement that, well, we're all God's children. Um, no. no, we're not. We're not all God's children. Um, I didn't write down the verse. I, somewhere I was looking at it this morning. It refers to some of us are children of God, and some of us are actually the children of the devil. <laughs> We're not all God's children. We have a way of becoming God's children, and that's through faith in Christ. But we are not all God's children. Um, there is a way to become God's child. Uh, there was a, I don't know who, I'm sure it originated years and years ago. Uh, many people have said it. Um, but this, if you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. <laughs> right? Um, I, I hope I don't have to explain that any further than that. But the second birth is what makes us a child of God. It's faith in Christ that makes us a child of God. 
This isn't, I knew this would come up eventually, but one of the versions of translations, there is a little issue in John 3.16. And I caught it years ago as some kids were memorizing for Sunday school this verse. And when I memorize it, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Some modern versions say instead of only begotten Son, they say one and only Son. That's a problem, isn't it? Because if there's only one and only Son, then what are the rest of us? Not his sons, not his children. So there's, there's some importance to how, peop, how you translate <laughs> into the English, um, which is why I stick with what I stick with. But anyway, that's, I didn't want to focus on that, but it, it, it is an issue. Um, we get to this. And we're not all children of God. Some of us are, some of us aren't. And how that's decided is by whether or not we've put our faith in Christ, whether we've received that second birth. That is how we become the children of God. Now, I said we can't, if I can't be unborn physically, I can't ever stop being my parents' child. I also can't be unborn spiritually. I can't stop being God's child, which I teach and believe with my whole heart that if you're saved, you cannot lose that salvation. And I think when I, what I'm referring to is when I'm listening to these preachers talking, they don't believe that they, there are many that believe you can lose your salvation, but the ones that I'm referring to don't believe you can lose your salvation. But they're questioning the validity of a person's faith, and they're looking at the, the results of that. What, what, how is that played out in their life? And I think the problem is, instead of questioning what they put their faith in, they're questioning what the result in consequences or um, what the playing out of that has been. And it's not what results from it, that we need to question. It's like, what did you put your faith in? Did you really, <laughs> do you really believe the gospel? What is the gospel? It's like, well, the gospel starts with bad news and ends with good news. The gospel starts with, a, I'm a sinner bound for hell, that my sin condemns me. And there is no amount of goodness, no amount of works of things that I can do to right the wrong that I've done. That's, the beginning point of the gospel is that I'm hopelessly lost. I think the interesting part is when a person is questioning their salvation, and that's the whole reason for this discussion, is when a person questions their salvation, how do you give them assurance? Well, you know what they're doing when they're questioning their salvation? Is they're looking inward, and they're seeing a life that doesn't live up to the standard that I see written in this book. 
I don't know how any preacher can stand up and look at themselves <laughs> and tell a person to look inward as to whether or not they're good enough, whether they've done enough to show that they're saved. Because I sure don't look at myself seeing a good enough example of a Christian. I see, <laughs> I'd like to say I see every flaw, but I don't see every flaw. That's the problem. I see lots of them. And the more I deal with, the more I see. God wants us to deal with, but looking inward. The question comes, like, am I really saved? Like, I'm still a rotten sinner. I'm still fouled up inside. So how can I have assurance of, how could God let this into heaven? It's not, yeah, just don't, just don't send. Well, there's your answer. Just don't send. Unfortunately, we're not capable of that. So now what do I do? It's like, oh, I have to look at Scripture and figure this out. And what does it say? It's like, put your faith in His righteousness and that we'll get His righteousness applied to us despite what we actually are. And so this is the problem. Is like, if I'm questioning my salvation, I already recognize step one in the whole gospel message is that I'm a sinner and I, there's nothing in me that's worthy of God's acceptance. Every one of you and me, there's not a single one of us that is worthy of God's acceptance. Not a single one. So why would I ever look to me, for assurance that I've actually been saved. Can't. <laughs> so what's the next step? Is like, well, who's Jesus? Who is God? Like, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And he was put on that cross. And he died. And God put the burden of my sin on him says he became sin for us who knew no sin. And he bore our sin and took God's wrath on him. He took the, the penalty for sin. So my debt has been paid. That's the gospel. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection that he was raised again from the dead. He, he's victorious over that. That it's been paid for, it's been taken care of. And now, if I put my faith in Him, if I believe that that was done for me, and I believe that that was sufficient, and that it's nothing that I can do, there's my salvation. That's the gospel message. So if a person's asking you, how do I know if I really truly am saved? Don't point to how well they're doing as a Christian. They're not doing very well as a Christian. I can assure you of that. But what did you believe? What did you put your faith in? Was it in your ability to do better? Or was it in what Christ did on the cross for you? If we're looking to that, it's like, did you really truly believe that Christ died in your place and that took all of your sin on him and that everything you ever did or will do is paid and covered by that blood? 
If you believed that, then yes, you're saved. Now, if there's something you need to deal with in your life that's not up to the standard that you know you ought to be living to, well, go deal with that. But that's not how you're saved. Now, let's look at some scripture. First of all, our security in Christ, my security as a saved believer, is not dependent on this sinner. It's dependent on my Savior. And that alone. If you're in anywhere near John, John chapter 10, I'm going to look at just a couple of different passages. I could look at many, but I just want to look at a, a couple that point us to this. John 10, verse 28 and 29. Um, leading up to it, he's just talking about who is or isn't his sheep. Um, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I can no longer, I cannot choose to stop being my parents' child. They will still be my parents, no matter what my opinion is. No man can pluck me out of the Father's hand, or out of Christ's hand, including me. Hmm. Including me. I can't, once I've put my faith in him, once I've been born again, I actually cannot stop being born again. I can't stop being God's child now. People have an issue with that. <laughs> As if I'm saying that we now have a license to, to go and live however we want. I can just dive into a world of sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's no consequence for sin. I'm saying there is no condemnation for sin, as in there's no more the penalty of hell for your sin. It's been paid for. There is consequences in this life. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it. So here's, no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. There is nothing that can happen that can remove me out of God's hand once I am put into that. Romans 8 would be the next spot to look. Romans 8, verse 38. So right at the end of the chapter, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death... I found a guy preached on this verse. And when he got to this, he says, neither death. And people have a question on this exact, what I'm about to say, including suicide. Including suicide. Whatever method of death, it cannot separate us from God. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, which means however we live, 
death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, no, no matter what's going on right now, nor things to come, whatever, whatever direction my life goes, no matter how much I reject God in the future, right? Isn't that what that means? Nor things to come? Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing can separate me from that. Once I'm his child, I am his child. Whatever comes. It's not up to me to keep myself as God's child. He will do that. <laughs> it's not up to the sinner. It's up to the Savior. Let's go one more spot in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Nobody's walked out yet. That's good. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter two. Um, start in verse eleven. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But, verse 13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, and he cannot deny himself. He abides faithful. If I stop believing, whatever comes, whatever the future may bring, right? If something happens in my life, and I just, like, get so bent out of shape over this thing and I reject God completely. Like, I just, I can't believe that anymore. I can't believe in a God that would allow that. It happens, right? We've heard people say stuff like that. But it says he will not deny himself. He cannot, in fact, deny himself. No matter what comes, whatever the future holds, it's not up to me to keep myself saved. He cannot deny himself, no matter what I do. <laughs> now, I read the verse that previous to that. It says, if, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Well, I don't have a full answer to that. I have... Two thoughts on it. One out of context would be that if I reject the gospel entirely in my life, he will deny us. If I've denied him, that's, that's a done deal, right? But the context, that's, that's kind of out of context. Um, within the context, if we deny him, he will deny us. Um, it was within that reigning, we will reign with him. <laughs> Um, if we suffer, we shall reign with him. If I, if as a believer, I'm being persecuted for my faith and I suffer for the sake of the gospel, 
it says, I will reign with him. But in that context, it says, if I deny him, he will deny us. Not that I'll lose my salvation, but that I will not have a position of authority (laughs) when it comes to reigning with him. I believe that would be, it's not a lack of salvation that that denial is based on. That would be a lack of reward and a, Remember all the parables of Jesus where he gives stuff to servants and the master gives them just and comes back and then rewards them based on what they've done with what he gave and then takes away <laughs> from those that didn't do anything with it. Well, that's kind of what I'm looking at here is like, well, how you're not going to get a position of authority <laughs> over others when you weren't faithful with the little bit that you've been given here in this earth. So there's not a lack of a loss of salvation, but a, a loss of reward. But the next verse is very clear. If we believe not, he abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. So again, it's just, it's not up to me to keep myself saved. Once I believe the gospel, I am eternally permanently saved. Um, I would. I'm out of order if I do this, but I, I want to go to First Corinthians now. So First Corinthians. Chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. I've been here recently, um, and I talked, I, I based a message on this passage, but I, I focused on a different part of it, mostly anyway. Verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, or covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a a fearful list. It says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, we get to that verse, verse 11. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. Present tense. It's been done. Is more is our is that past tense even? It's already been done. You you are already washed. You are already. I grew up believing, and we talk about sanctification, and people use this word of sanctification as in it's a, a process of becoming better, more <laughs> more spiritually mature, uh, sinning less over time as we mature as a Christian. 
Um, that's not how I see scripture use it. <laughs> the, the definition of sanctification is that we are set apart, made holy for Christ's service. And it says you are sanctified, not that you're being sanctified. This isn't uh, a process. This is a Christ did it when you put your faith in him for salvation. Um, just like you were washed and justified at that point. I want to point something out. So there's this horrific list of things that it says will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it says such were some of you. And I'll say that the whole basis of what I'm saying here was based on preachers preaching about what we, you know, basing on our, our change, right? This says such were some of you. You used to be like that. But now once you were saved, you're no longer like that. Right? Right. Let's back up. Go to chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Start at the beginning. It says, it is reported commonly, it's reported commonly, by the way, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. Now, I think we all understand what was done. And I think we need to understand what was said about it was that they have not mourned over this thing, that they're puffed up. They're, there's no sorrow. There's no repentance. There's no... There's just a continuing in this evil sin. Isn't that one of the things that was mentioned in chapter 6 as will not inherit the kingdom of God? How does Paul who's writing the scripture, treat this person? Does he question his salvation because he's not living a changed, victorious Christian life? Doesn't, does he? That's, if we keep on in here, um, I'll skip down a little bit to verse 9. It says, I wrote unto you in, in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. So the point here is that he's telling you not to associate with people that are like this. Uh, uh, fornicators, covetous, extortioners, idolaters. It's just like a, a, a partial list of, of what we saw in Chapter 6, that won't inherit the kingdom of God, right? But it says, it's not the ones in the world that are like that, not to associate with. It's the ones that are in the church, not to associate with. Because he says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, for then ye must ye needs go out of the world. If you can't associate with lost people that are sinners, <laughs> then we need to find another planet to live on, because... <laughs> there aren't any that aren't like that. 
So who is he telling us not to associate with? It's the ones in our church that are doing that. Did he question their salvation? No. But now, verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. One that is called a brother is those things. Well, then how in chapter 6 can you say such were some of you? I can't stop here. (laughs) Such were some of you. But he is saying that they're currently living this life. But he describes them as such were some of you. It's a past tense. The, the common thing among Christians and preachers is to say that, well, even though we haven't stopped sinning, I'm, I'm sinning less than I used to. Sounds to me like this, these people are doing it more than they used to. <laughs> or at least as much as they used to. And he's not questioning their salvation. He calls it one that is called a brother and is doing all of these things. We don't often look at people that we describe this way and we see their life this way and say, well, that's, that's a brother. <laughs> God bless them. Well, that's what Paul's doing. And so what is he saying that when we get to chapter 6, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he just gives some examples. This isn't an, a, an an all-inclusive list, like it's, it's not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form, this list of things that he lives. They're just some of the unrighteous deeds that people do. But he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Go to Romans um, chapter 3, I think, for now. Romans 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So that was our, our whole starting point. What's the, what's the gospel? Is that I'm a sinner and that I can't do anything to, to justify myself before God. That's what that says. By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation 
through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yeah, we establish the law. Like, okay. But we get up verse 22, and I think there's verses that say this probably even clearer than this, but even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, it's not about my righteousness. It's about his righteousness. His righteousness got applied to me when I put my faith in what he did for me. And so I am no longer counted, despite the fact that I am that list of stuff, <laughs> In, in action, but I am justified and I have his righteousness applied to my account. So it's not based on my life and what I, how I live. It's based on what I put my faith in. Is this a license to sin? No. It's, at, at no point, I don't think, I don't, I won't say absolute, but I don't think there's ever been a preacher who has preached what I'm preaching who is giving a license to sin. It's like, just, if you've believed, go ahead and live however you want. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that how you live from that point of faith onward doesn't determine whether or not you are still saved or not. That's not how we're to judge whether a person is saved. And it's not how I give assurance of whether a person had true faith, saving faith. Did you know that that phrase isn't in the Bible? <laughs> true saving faith? The, the phrase saving faith isn't even in the Bible? That's, that's a way that we describe <laughs> a person's faith and what it accomplishes, but it's not, not a biblical term. Um, I, at a risk of going already too long. <laughs> I want to look at Romans chapter 4 just a little bit here. Just to try to, I don't know, solidify the things that I'm saying. I don't know if your face is, is, is doubt or <laughs> I can't tell what you're thinking. but um, Chapter 4, verse 1. Um, let me just... Yeah, I'll, I'll read a few verses, then I'll skip a bit, and then I'll, I'll read a few more. It says, What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. 
Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. If I'm saved by my faith, do I maintain it by my works? No. No. So how do I look to my works to verify the legitimacy of my faith? Right? Things happen in life, and people are people. And we still have this rotten flesh that we're living in, and it's rotten. And it maintains a rottenness. Does that mean we don't, like, I'm not dismissing the the spiritual growth, but I'm saying we're not justified by that. I don't maintain my salvation by my works. uh, Skip down to verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before whom he believed. Even God who quickened the dead and called those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have peace with God through our actions and through our obedience. We have peace through our faith. That is how we know that we're saved. If a person questions their salvation, we need to question, what did you put your faith in? Was it in what Christ did on the cross? Or was it in what you think you can, how you can improve your life? through obedience of doing these things. My point isn't that we're okay to to live a sinful life. We're certainly not okay to live a sinful life. But my assurance of my salvation isn't based on my performance. It's based on what I put my faith in. And is he able to keep that promise? Do you know that this this talks of, of Abraham as if he never faltered in his faith. You ought to go read the story about Abraham back in Genesis there. Because he had some questions in his faith. He slept with his wife's servant to create the child that he didn't actually believe that God could create in Sarah. Right? 
he disobeyed, like he, he took it into his own hands. When he went in traveling on more than one occasion, he told other people that Sarah wasn't his wife. Apparently Sarah was something to look at because he was scared of what the people would do to him in order to get his wife. <laughs> and so he would tell people, this is my sister, not my wife, which was partly true. But like this guy isn't a, a flawless, sinless example of, of faith and obedience. This is a guy that's just like the rest of us who had his problems, <laughs> who, who had his doubts, who had his moments of disobedience to God. And yet it was his faith. Initially, he believed God. And God looked to that and said, you know what, I'm going to keep my promise. <laughs> Christ, God promised that if we put our faith in Christ for our salvation, he will fulfill that promise. He will give you eternal life. Not if you do this, 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 and this. I hope you understand that. <laughs> um, I, I will read Titus 2. Just to close us with. Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I've preached that before. But the next verse is very important. It says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. In this present world. We're called to live righteously. We're called. To a holy life. And. The grace of God that brings salvation. Also teaches us that. <laughs> there, there's no denying what we ought to live like. I'm just saying that. That isn't. How we determine whether or not we were saved. Are you saved? It's based on what you've put your faith in. Let's pray.